The month of May is DubLab's membership drive, and we are asking listeners like yourself to become sustaining members to help DubLab stay independent. Your support helps pay for essential operating costs to keep the station alive and ensures the original programming you hear day after day stays on the air, including studio soundtracks. You can join for just $5 a month, and each membership tier comes with great goodies. I personally love the annual t-shirt I receive at the $25 a month level. Visit dublab.com to learn more. Just keep smiling through it all Love is hard But war is so easy Through it all Got love in the summer Warmth in the winter Spring all through the fall everyone to Studio Soundtracks, the monthly program that takes listeners behind the scenes of making music for film and television. I'm your host, Chandler Poling. On today's show, I'm happy to welcome composers and songwriters Jacob Yaffe and Rowan Hilton. Welcome, guys. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, you two have been collaborating for a while now. What what brought it together? What's the magic sauce? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say an old fashioned and the Mediterranean Sea. There you so, <laughs> we, we randomly met in a, on a music conference in Israel called Reality Music and became fast friends. And as soon as we got back to America, wanted to find a way to work together. Um, I was working on a couple of products in hip hop, namely Kendrick Lamar, and wanted some or- orchestration and some good jazz uh, musicianship, which are both Jacob's expertise. And we just started collaborating. Um, none of those tracks made it on Kendrick but you know over the year we love working together and then eventually he brought me on a Jenna Monet uh Gap campaign um and then shortly after that LeBron James tapped us for Best Shot which was our first series together about five years ago now um and many late nights many more old fashions and a couple (laughs) more tv shows and here we are Incredible. Yeah. You guys are the co-composers of the ABC series, The Wonder Years. At the top of the show, we heard your original theme song, All I Know. Um, How did that song come to be? And how did you guys land a major network television show? Great question. Uh, Well, to answer the first one, the the song uh, came about because our, our great music supervisor who goes by Bert Blackarack. Um, uh, his real name is Imani Smith. Uh, they were trying to 
come up with the a new one Wonder Years main title because it was uh, a non-starter uh, that they were going to reuse the original Wonder Years theme song. It just was never even considered for I, I mean various reasons. They didn't want it to be a straight reboot. This was a reimagining, um, new story, new family, new experiences. Uh, so it deserved a new theme song. And they went out to a lot of big artists. I mean, I don't know if we're allowed to say, but like some, I mean, like iconic artists for the songs, or the song options. And um, <clears throat> they decided to let us throw our hat in the ring because we had written and, or not written, but produced uh, some vocal pieces for the pilot. Uh, and so they said, hey, why don't you guys give it a shot? So we did a camp. We brought in some of our most, you know, favorite singer, collaborators, songwriters. And uh, I think this was the first one we did, though. The very, right, right, Rowan? Very first one. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we started with the backing track. So when you, what you hear underneath the vocals in the song began as a piece we were just writing kind of as an idea for score. Uh, we were just writing away from picture and just thought, let's just write in this world. Let's just try to work with like the instruments. And we were working on it and Rowan turned to me and said, dude, this could be the main titles. This has got like some real iconic energy to it. So um, we brought our, our one of our favorite singers, Scotty Grand, who is uh, Mahalia Jackson's grand nephew, right? Um, to come in and we spent like, I don't know, a whole day just hashing out ideas. And the result is what you hear on the show. Yeah, it, it 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 was a it was one of those moments where we were so knee deep in score, we we didn't have time to be nervous at how iconic of a opportunity it was. And now looking back on it, you're kind of like, whoa, like that 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 was amazing that that happened. And and I would say, even how we got the show, it's kind of a similar kind of thing, right? Like we said this often. Um, but 2020 was hard for everybody. Um, and, you know, we're in the midst of the pandemic. Wasn't much going on in our business. Most productions had shut down. In fact, all productions had shut down. Um, all outside had shut down. Um, and Jacob and I were still, you know, just wanting to be creative. And I remember one night before we kind of booked it, shut it all down, I uh, was like, hey, what are we going to do? We decided, you know, instead of being nervous at what was going on outside, that we kind of be proactive and make some music and hopefully we'd get licensed eventually because TV was still happening, commercials were still happening. Um, so we figured that would be a cool idea if we could get some music licensed. So we love the 60s sound. So we decided to make a whole album. And our agents called us a, a couple months later and were like, hey, you know, got a, a meeting with, for you guys with some executives at Fox, you know, are you guys free? No, we're not free. It's twenty. <laughs> so we had a great meeting with the guys at Twenty uh, Century Fox. They passed that what ended up being the demo to Fred and Saladin, um, who loved it. Took an interview with us. Then eventually we went back, made some more specific stuff after having a detailed conversation. Um, but it's ironic. Some of those first pieces that we did away from picture ended up still making it into the show, um, and that's how we got the gig. And quite frankly, it's been a whirlwind, been life-changing for us both and couldn't be happier with the result. 
beautiful yeah you guys well you guys really created some magic especially with that song all i know it's a great intro you've already won an award for it the hollywood music and media award for best main titles so you're on the track you know fingers mm-hmm. crossed uh, this emmy season and i think it's an awesome contender um so as i mentioned at the top of the show you guys have been co-composing for a while on multiple projects there seems to be a trend of co-composers on the rise do you think two heads are better than one Yes, definitely. I feel, uh, I mean, the first thing that happens is I think composer, if you're a composer, it's just kind of inherent that you have uh, severe self-doubt and sitting and working together. It happens every time where Rowan will come up with something and think it's not good. And I'm like, no, that's amazing. Dude, we're going to, that's it. That's it. You know, and I'll like encourage and it goes the other way. Like I'll want to throw something out and you know, he'll think it's, it's fantastic or the kind of thing where um, even the even the main title song, uh, when we had originally done it, it was a lot faster or it was slower. It was slower. Mm-hmm. And it was your idea. Like, let's kick up the tempo. And that's what really made it work. So having, you know, the ideas kind of like bouncing outside of your body onto another person's ears, the ideas can kind of get their first true test. And uh, I feel like a lot of great stuff ends up on the cutting room floor when it shouldn't. Um, and. I have to say it goes the other way too. Sometimes I have an idea and I'm like, this is amazing. And Rowan's like, it's really not, man. (laughs) I think, I think for us to what's a unique opportunity is just our disparate backgrounds. Right. You know, like we, we come from completely different sections of the music business. So how we approach music um, and our whys um, in certain ways are just different. And it's funny because I know for both of us, when we started early in our careers, weren't collaborators. Um, in the songwriting world, though, eventually you got to get over that, right? And I think that kind of perspective helped me learn, like, yo, like, not every idea is bad and not every idea is good. And you don't have to come up with all of those, <laughs> either the good one or the bad one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in our collaboration, it's been magnificent being able to have another perspective from a whole different reasoning why. Um, and learning that reason, and I, I think vice versa, once we kind of understand each other's perspectives, um, then we're able to trust even when we're not sure about the end result. So I definitely think two heads are better than one and not just on the music music making part, but just the navigating the business, right? Like some days are just heavy email days and heavy interview days and heavy phone call days. So it's great to know that you have a, a, a compatriot getting stuff done while you know, you're having a headache day and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to be a much more welcomed trend because, you know, I imagine that it, studios or decision makers were always like, why would I have two composers, you know, when I can just have one? And and it seems to be more and more widely accepted. And I'm sure as those composers that are sitting in panic mode and imposter mode trying to figure out how to do a genre of music that they're not comfortable with, you know, um, it must be really nice to have, you know, uh compatriot as you said to to call upon and 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 get that done so i think i i think it's really exciting the idea of composer teams and also breaking down the illusion that it's a single person sitting at their piano writing notes on a page (laughs) it's not really how our industry works at all anymore yeah especially, especially especially now with with so much content happening and everybody juggling multiple types of projects not just multiple projects but multiple types of projects it's it's very daunting to be able to 
to do by yourself in any like any part of the, the job. So very thankful for this human known as Jacob Yaffe. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> well, let's hear another track of your music from the Wonder Years. Uh, this is a somber piece that plays over the opening scenes as our TV family learns of Martin Luther King's death. So here is the track titled Martin Luther King Dies. <laughs> I'm curious, how did you guys settle on the sound of the show? Uh, were you given any strong direction of where the music should go in the series? Yes, I, I'd like to jump in there, and then I want to let Rowan talk about this particular piece, because not only did we have to decide the sound of the show, but this piece was a, a conscious departure from the sound that we created. Um, initially, when we first started, the direction was more to mirror the original sound of the the 90s um wonder years you know very acoustic guitar driven um and not just acoustic you know steel string and um you know the snuffy walden sound which is fantastic and that was very tempting um but given the fact that the father on the show is a funk and jazz musician and a music professor we had the idea that the score would be performed by his band. And it kind of pretend, it, it, it gave us an opportunity because then we could record every week the same musicians and that would be the palette for the show. And it took a little bit of um, convincing. We had to kind of go and do it and show Saladin and Fred Savage or let them hear it and to picture to see how it would work. Uh, but they were thrilled once we did a few cues and they started to understand the kind of energy that it could have and how well it could weave in and out of the licensed music from that era while still kind of having its own signature sound and sounding like score. Um, and it also allowed us to hire some amazing musicians in New York, um, people that I used to play back in bands back when I lived there, you know, horn section players, rhythm section players. So it, it's just been like, so much fun every week hearing these amazing musicians jam out on some of our score ideas. Yeah, and this particular piece, MLK Dies, as, as Jacob described, like one of the things that we wanted to do is provide a contrast. So it just didn't feel like one big concert. And, you know, obviously is the pilot. So we have a, a very, very 
genius and favorite collaborator named Michael John Warren, who's done a lot of projects too. And I always like to say, repeat what he told us. And he said, working on a, a project in film is like you're in a dark room and you have to feel your way around the room until you get the dimensions and then you know how to move about the room. And the pilot was definitely still a dark room. Um, and so when you have this mom momentous moment where you, know, you hear about the, the shooting of Dr. King, we wanted to make sure that we could convey the emotions without overplaying it. Um, so we tried a whole bunch of things. We weren't sure if there was gonna be a needle drop. We weren't sure if we were gonna not have any music. Um, and we're also discovering how, you know, the comedy of the show was going to be played, right? Like, are we going to market? Are we not going to market? And so in this particular scene, we were thinking, you know, what would be best would be vocals. And, you know, thank God we have a legendary collaborator named Scotty Grand, who we also did the main titles with, who we mentioned earlier, um, and just recorded this uh, acapella piece that as you hear it, the vocals just wash over you. Um, and seeing it played a picture, it just worked. Um, and it was one of the first moments where we, you know, we were like, whew, we got through that one. It worked. Um, <laughs> and, you know, many, many more challenges were to come, but that was our first one. And we just love how it came out. Mm -hmm. Were you guys both familiar with the original TV series? Did you watch it growing up or how, how do you feel this one currently differs from the 80s series? You want to go first? I got it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I think, well, definitely, yes, we both watched the, watched the show. Um, we're all, um, Jacob and I are the same, around the same age um, as Kevin Arnold. Um, you know, excuse me, let me re rewind that. I don't know how much I should say. But Jacob, Jacob and I are of, uh, Jacob and I are about the same age to when that show was coming out. We were the same age as the main character. And so, you know, it's a coming age, a coming of age story of a young boy going through adolescence and definitely was my adolescence watching that show in the 90s. Definitely had a crush on Winnie Cooper um, and definitely learned a lot about how to fight with my brother and not succeed from that show as well. Um, <laughs> but one of, one of the cool things, obviously, about this show um, that really, really pulled some heartstrings was definitely the timing that it came out, right? Because in the wake of George Floyd, um, there was a lot going on in the world. As we were working on the project, it was crazy. There was a, whole, a lot of civil unrest going on in the country currently. Um, and Saladin geniusly wove that into the original um, series and into some of the comments on the first episode, right? So when you see a Black family coming up in the 60s in Montgomery, Alabama, um, then you know that there's going to be a lot of rich storytelling points. And I thought it was very clever how he was able to tie in the original series with this new family, um, you know, who goes to church every Sunday, who has the same family problems as everybody else, who still manages to love each other and overcome in this crazy time that they were going on in the 60s and show how close it is to what we're going through in these 2020s. So thought it was brilliant, thought there was an amazing tie-in. And yeah, definitely, definitely watch the original series. Yeah, I was a big fan as well. Had a crush on Winnie Cooper um, and loved the, how musical the original series was with all, all, all the licensed music and how you know integrated it, it was into the story. Um, Saladin has taken that a, like many steps further in that you know the father figure is a musician in a band a lot of the storylines are a, are what a musical family would go through and 
you know, you he has written into the script like story points that I've just never heard of on a network comedy. I mean, there's episodes where they were they're writing songs on screen. There's episodes where it's like about band auditions and challenges and all kinds of stuff. We've had to do so many songs that we actually produced like four or five songs that the showrunner's father wrote back in the 60s for the actors to perform on screen, which is incredible. And not only, we also performed the original theme song in one of the episodes on screen, which is really cool because we had to do our own arrangement, own version of it. So, I mean, there's there's a lot that's the same. The differences, I think, allow for ex- exploring, you know, deeper musical things, which of course excite us. Um, but I also like that, you know, I remember before it came out, reading some of the articles you know, you're worrying, like, are people going to watch the show? And there was, like, it seemed kind of pushback. People were like, oh, another show that's going to deal with, like, extreme racism. And why would we want to watch a show about a black family in the 60s? This sounds like it's going to be horrifying and upsetting and awful. But Saladin has found a way to just make it about the family that happens to live during that time in the South. Yes, there are things that happen. He's not ignoring any of that. But it's about the family. It's, it's not about their relationship to what's happening around them. You, it's the characters, and they put some in situations, obviously, they have to handle. But in that way, it's really engaging just from, like, I can imagine a 10- or 12-year-old being able to watch it and not being, like, upset or not being able to understand what's happening. The score... It, it sounds very organic and acoustic. Is it all live instruments? Um, are you Were you guys able to use session musicians? Yeah, and I, I would say that was one of the, the most delightful parts of this, right? Because we're getting to use all, all authentic acoustic musicians and instruments, right? Like it wasn't in the box. Um, we weren't racing around the clock in a computer fighting against plugins. Um, you know, we tracked in New York um, with a lot of, like Jacob said, old musician buddies um, in New York, um, in Baltimore, um, live horns, um, didn't get to do as much strings in the first season. Um, hopefully season two, we'll get to get really, really dramatic and use a lot more strings. Um, but yeah, the palette was what we wanted it to be, be the same palette, the same instruments, the same formation of the band as Bill Williams. Um, in the show. So we wanted it to sound as if his band was playing all the cues. Um, so that just allowed us to do some cool things specifically around Whirly, around organ and around bass. Mm-hmm. We also had some incredible guests. Um, we had Corey Henry, like really famous organist, keyboardist, uh, was a, a guest artist in episode six. Um, got to track him in New York and it was just a real pleasure to witness the genius uh, that he he brought to it. Um, also, we um, episode two and six, we had to write and arrange uh, pieces for a gospel choir. So we were able to record vocalists from different parts of the country. I think some of them were in Georgia, some in Pennsylvania, New York, uh, Maryland, here in L.A. Uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to bring in not only musicians that we're friends with and that we love, but a lot of them had never done anything for film or television ever. So this is their first opportunity to, to do this. So we we're now we're, you know, after doing 22 episodes, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Wonder Years. We recorded all these people. But like we have to pinch ourselves and remind, you know, remind each other like, oh, wow, like 
it's rare to get to do this kind of music for mm -hmm. a show. And the people we're recording, they're like getting to record in the studio for a show. So everyone's, it's just blowing everyone's minds. It's beautiful. It's a great, it's a great score. And it's really nice to hear that kind of live acoustic, you know, feel on a network show. Yeah. Let's listen to some of that music. You brought a track called Misunderstanding This World. So here is that track. Why did you choose that particular track? I want to know what it means to you. Well, I mean, misunderstanding this world uh, is kind of a running theme for Dean, uh, the, the young boy in the show. And it's, you know, he's finding his place in the world, adolescence uh, within, you know, the power struggles within the family and in the school. Um, there's a lot of comedy that's mined from that situation. But then there are actual heavy moments um and this this was originally written for one of those very, those heavy, very moments. heavy moments um and you know this one we kind of pulled out the the acoustic guitar bed uh, or not bed but like many layers of acoustic guitar um organ and strings on this one uh and it's great because those kind of moments uh in a in the a show like the wonder years which is a dramedy i guess uh they don't come along that often every few episodes you get a nice meaty moment that um kind of deserves to be a score rather than like a needle drop because it's i think it's so tempting with a big heavy moment on a show like this they they could easily draw on some great great song and that happened a lot so to have opportunities to do a piece like this was rare so well that's one reason why we wanted to feature it yeah and you know like we were talking about early on when we were feeling our way through this dark room creatively, um, a lot, a lot, a lot of focus was placed on how the original score from the original series interacted with the characters. Like it lived in a world that was timeless, right? And so a lot of use of guitar um, was done. Shout out Snuffy Walden, um, the original composer of the original series. So whenever we had a, a chance to kind of make it a timeless emotional moment, get a sense of space, get a sense of you're in a 12 year old's mind who's 
finding his place in the world, who's finding his place as the youngest in a family of everybody else who he really looks up to and admires, um, who also have all these talents that he can see. And he wonders what's his talent and who's he gonna be. So when we get these chances to be emotional, um, we like really, really sentimental acoustic instruments, vocals, strings, guitar. Um, and that was really the main palette of this cue that we wanted to, you know, get across. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you guys are striving for in your career as musicians. You get to work on all sorts of really cool projects and dabble in all sorts of genres. What's something that you really like to do with your, you know, time on this earth as a, as a musician? You want me to go first, Daniel? Sure. That's a that's a big question, Chandler. <laughs> I think um, I think what any of us are, are striving for is to be happy with what we do every day, right? To see the end result and know that you're proud to have worked on something amazing and proud of yourself for challenging yourself. Um, I think as a musician, we get well as a, as a composer. First off, we get challenged in ways that are very 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 difficult. And when you're in the middle of it, you're like, how am I going to get to this deadline? How am I going to work on this cue that's five minutes that's going to take me eight hours, but they wanted it two hours ago. <laughs> and, you know, and you find yourself in these these pressure situations and then you deliver and you're like, I cannot believe I did that. And so the next time you have to deliver, you know that you can do it and you realize like I've scaled a few mountains. And as a musician, I've gotten better with each mountain I've scaled. Um, and, and I would just say, having had a whole previous career as a songwriter and producer, um, the goal, the goal, not that it's different, how you get there is definitely different. But what I found is to be able to main, be able to maintain truth to myself um, and put myself honestly in pieces of music because I don't have to be in front of anybody. Right. Like the picture is in front of everybody. Mm. Um, and I get to put authenticity and real feelings into different projects because there's real characters and real humans being played in front of the world. So, you know, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but the goal is like anybody else to be free and to be able to be proud of yourself as you're doing work that you're proud of. Yeah, I, I remember being a kid um, and I'm going to use a fancy phrase that I heard in, in college, music and the moving image. Uh I was very blown away by the power, you know, you and I, you know, we said we were 90s kids. So I remember being in the theater and seeing movies, I remember seeing Dances with Wolves and just being blown away by like just the, the emotion that you felt, you know, John Barry's score for that film in particular, uh, just hitting you and just being drawn to like, man, I just would love, love to work in that world. Um, but what's really fascinating is when you start working in the industry, the things that worked in film and television in the 90s don't work now. Um, the pacing's different. Everything's different. Um, and so I think, you know, there's this this goal that's always going to be way out in front where you're trying to capture that level of emotion and power and excitement and fun, but in the new sound. What in what is that new sound? It's always changing and like you want to continue to develop to the point where you can be the best of your sound at that level. And it's not necessarily up to you. It's it's up to the industry. It's up to luck and chance, the filmmaker you're working with. But you just hope that you're always one step closer. And each project you, you do, you're kind of like chipping away at the marvel and finding out what it is your sound and how does that crystallize in the moment. 
whatever it might be. It could be this year, 10 years from now, whatever it is. Well, I love it. I, I love the very phys- philosophical answers because I was expecting somebody to say, I would love to score a Star Wars movie or something very basic. <laughs> but you guys are just like, no, we want to be better humans. And we, yeah. <laughs> right. we be would good. also like to score the next Star Wars <laughs> and Marvel movie. Yeah. Well, well um, that. Yeah. no, no time like the present. We're going to play another track from the Wonder Years that's titled Today. So here is Today.
Now, something that's so unique about your work on The Wonder Years is that your opening title song, All I Know, it inspired the showrunner to fictionalize the song into the narrative of the show, having the lead actors perform and record the song as part of their story. Uh, this is pretty rare pretty in my rare. experience. Uh, where, uh, like, where the where the music is woven kind of into the actual storyline of the characters, can you just talk to me about this, like, and how it all came about? And you know, was it always in in plan for the show, or was it just sparked by inspiration by the showrunner? How did it happen? Well, this this track uh, today was actually um, for episode tw- twelve, and it was about, it was about uh, Dean, Dean being, being in the in middle the, school band. band. And um, it was inspired by, I think, his experience because, you know, Saladin's dad uh, is a musician. And I think he he was, you know, in band growing up. So this one, uh, this episode was about the uh, the challenges. So like if you're a first chair saxophone player and there's a bunch of other there's always a million alto saxophone players in band and they all want to be first chair. So then you, you kind of set up these like challenge challenges where you got to play scales or some sort of etude or something and you can get knocked down if you're not on your game and so he wrote an entire episode that was about this and at the end there was this big live concert at a county fair and his dad's really proud of him but of course what happens is is he loses first chair and loses the solo uh so this the episode ends this really emotional nice father-son connection by the end uh but it's the live performance of the wind ensemble at the fair that you're hearing in that track and we had to kind of blend you know some of the band that we record for the the underscore of the show mixed with like middle school players playing like the, the arrangement of tom scott's song today um so it definitely uh it definitely was very a lot more it's easy to uh, not easy but when you read it on the page you're like oh yeah well of course it's just going to be that but then try to go and do it and like make it sound like a, a, a seventh grader playing but it can't sound so bad that you don't want to hear it. So it was really, really a, a challenge, but also a gift, you know, just to be able to like flex like that as a composer and music producer to get that detailed with it. Um, but yeah, that, that just to talk about that one, that's a little separate from the, uh, the episode about the theme song. I'll let Rowan fill a little more on that. Yeah. Um, and today the, that Tom Scott song is using a, a famous hip hop record. Um, I'll let you uh, find that Easter egg. <laughs> um, but as far as 120, speaking of flexing, Saladin is amazing. You know, we're joking that he basically threw it off the backboard. He gave us an alley oop, you know, so we could, you know, basically dunk it on in. And it 120 is literally a dream as a composer because not only did we get to write the main titles, but fictionalizing it, as you said, Chandler, um, allowing the the characters to be able to be a part of the song that works in the real world and allowing um, these actors the chance to perform it and showcase their their amazing vocals. I mean, Dulé Hill and, and Saikon Senglo um, was just, it was just amazing and phenomenal. So basically what happens in the episode, I won't give too many spoilers, but what happens is um, Bill, um, our show's father is getting ready for a new job um, and he's wanting to get out of, basically, well, excuse me, he's been replaced in the band. And in this episode, he's actually replaced by Aloe Black. Um, and because he's replaced, he basically is trying to find his way as a musician. Like, how am I going to continue to do what I want to do outside being a teacher? And so, you know, Lillian, his wife suggests, you know, that, hey, why don't you do your own thing? Why don't you start getting on the, out on the road? And so they decide to write a song. 
And as is customary in the songwriting process, they, you know, have their back and forth, which is a nice play in a, a family conflict for the storyline of the show. But the song that they come up with is obviously our actual main titles, All I Know. Um, and so the actual functionality of creating that as creators and composers and producers was pretty difficult because we had to write multiple versions of the, show, the song, right, for this episode, and then intertwine it with various vocal performances. So we got to have, we got to have Dulé come over to the studio, record live, um, Sekon was in Georgia at the time, so we recorded her virtually, um, but literally we did like four or five versions of that song, right, to fit and in the Denise. Episode. Yep, and then another friend um, by the name of Denise, um, she she did the performance of Summertime. And there's a club scene where there's a fantasy sequence, it's pretty funny, um, but combining all of those elements uh, to make these live performances work on television was a very challenging uh, opportunity I'll say but the end product was amazing couldn't be more proud of episode 120 and how it actually features uh, the main titles and it features the main titles as score as well so thanks again Saladin yeah well I mean the, the I think Saladin said the main reason is that you know because modern shows the theme song we wrote is is it's full length song but you only get to hear it for 10 seconds uh during the episode and so there you know a lot of people were complaining like oh yeah like you know we want to hear more of it or like they were missing the original song from the 90s show and he's like oh but this song's really great so he wanted to find a way to let people hear more of it so in the script he specifically was featuring certain lyrics for different sequences that he wanted people to hear on camera and how it came across uh and then we had to do like like rome was describing a version like we had to hear three different singers perform the song. And so you had to hear it three different ways from those singers. And, you know, by the end of the episode, you get to hear, you know, a duet between the mom and dad singing it kind of like much more heartfelt, you know, family kind of uh, fun of vibes. So really clever. We keep saying that Saladin's clever. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. This is Dule Hill and Seikan Senglo perform All I Know as a duet from The Wonder Years. Every good day comes with sunshine, but some days come with hard times. You could stumble, you could fall. Just keep smiling through it all. Love is hard, but war is so easy. Through it all, we got love in the summer, warmth in the winter, spring on through, through the fall, and all I know. That you're deep down in my soul When my heart goes out low Whether high or low Till I find my way home
reached the end of the show and I'm going to ask you of what I ask all my guests. And that is what was the first album you purchased and what was the last thing you listened to? <laughs> you first, Jacob. I got to think about that. I got it. Yeah. First thing that I ever bought was Michael Jackson bad. Uh, and I remember my parents taking me on the military base to the PX, they called it. And uh, there were two options that you could buy. It was Michael Jackson Bad or George Michael's album Faith, I think, the one with his earring. Um, and I chose, I loved Michael Jackson. Uh, so definitely grabbed that. And then last thing I listened to, my son is three and a half. Everything is awesome from the Lego movie. It's the last thing I listened to. <laughs> Great song. Iconic. Yeah. <laughs> so my the first album I ever bought, which might have actually be the only album I ever bought, um, jokes. It was, Timberland, <laughs> it was Timberland's feature album. It had um, uh, Ludacris on there. I think it was the one with Nelly Furtado. Um, I was a huge, 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 huge Timberland fan um, coming up. Still am to this day. Um, but I wanted to just figure out how he made all those beats and figure out how we got all those features and all those collaborators to come together on one project. Um, not that it influenced me in my career at all. Um, but <laughs> yeah. And I remember, I remember knowing all the lyrics, to all those songs. So that was the first album I bought. And then the last thing I listened to, um, what is the last thing? Oh, lucky days album called candy drip. Um, Long story, but he's been a long friend of mine, long, long time friend. Just won the Grammy for R&B song of the year. I mean, album of the year. And this album is just perfection. So shout out Lucky Day and D-Mile. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys uh, take the time to join me on Studio Soundtracks, only on Dub Lab Radio. Reminder that the month of May is our membership drive, so consider donating, supporting um, to keep Studio Soundtracks on the air. Our outro music is going to be another piece from The Wonder Years titled Up on the Mountain. I want you guys to all check out The Wonder Years on ABC today. Go make sure you check that out. And mm -hmm. thank you again, Jacob and Rowan, on joining me on Studio Soundtracks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us.